So we're in a series where we've been talking through the way to share good news with the world around us. And again, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a church person, if you're not sure about what you believe, this is an interesting series because it gives you a behind-the-curtain look at what Christians think about when they think about sharing their faith in Jesus with other people. And what we've done in this series is we've really gathered our thoughts around three main words that will be guiding words for our church for the next several years or more. The three words that we've been looking at are love and listen and lead. When it comes to a Christian talking about Jesus with others, we must first love the people that we're reaching out to. Jesus said, people will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. And God so loved this world, he gave his son for everyone. And so we want our love for people to line up with God's love for them too. And then we are to listen. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a reason for the way they believe what they, or the reason they believe what they believe. And so if, if you talk to someone and you just start trying to share your beliefs or what the Bible says, it might fall on deaf ears because you haven't even taken time to understand why they are where they are. So patience, time with people, listening, asking questions is so important to understand where they're at. Because if someone doesn't believe in God, if you listen to their story long enough, you probably don't believe in their version of God either. So listen, listen, listen. And then... Finally, what we're going to talk about today is lead. Because what we all know is that good news doesn't change anything until it has been heard. It doesn't change anything until it's been delivered. You could be the, the most loving person in the world, but you will never love somebody into a right relationship with God. You can be the best listener in the world, but you will never listen somebody into a right relationship with God. A right relationship with God is something you must lead them to, and specifically, you must lead them to Jesus. Now, I've heard the popular quote that says something like this. It says, preach the gospel always, use words if necessary. That's a common quote. It's been floating out there forever. And I get it, like show your faith, live your faith with your actions, but it's really wrong. Good news doesn't change anything until it is heard, until it is declared. It'd be one thing for me to call up my doctor a day later and waiting for the test results and saying, hey doctor, just trying to, you know, see what's going on. And they would say, oh, I'm just so happy. I'm just so happy for you. Oh, how are you feeling? Just, I want to listen. How are you feeling today? I'm like, good, but could you just tell me what I need to hear? Good news changes nothing unless it has been verbalized, unless it is spoken to someone. And the same is true of Jesus. When Jesus called his disciples and said, I want you to go and share the gospel with all nations, he wasn't just telling them to love people, and he wasn't just telling them to listen to people. He was saying, you need to verbalize what I mean to the world. Tell them the story. Tell them the good news. And there's this one other thing I, I want to bring up, and it's this hesitation that most of us have when it comes to talking about Jesus. Now, one interesting thing this week is I was talking with a group of people about this topic, and one person said, oh yeah, I can go out and talk to random strangers about Jesus, and I'm, I love it, but I can't talk to people I know. 
<laughs> and then other people thought, I can't go talk to strangers about this, but man, I don't know if I could, I could probably talk to my family okay. But we're all wired differently. But what I want to do is just show you that wherever you are and whatever you've been doing, God can still use you. And the way I want to do that is just real quickly tell you the story of a guy named Moses. Um, so back in the Old Testament, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, they were enslaved in Egypt and for, for hundreds of years, they were crying out to God. And finally, God said, I will send my messenger, my deliverer, Moses. And Moses will re release them from Egypt. So God comes to Moses. He's about 80 years old. And God says, I want you to go and go back to your people and rescue them from Egypt. And four times, Moses says, I don't know about that. In fact, I'm considered, I, I'm... I'm convinced that Moses was from Minnesota because he was so polite <laughs> saying no. Time after time, he's like, well, what if they, what if they asked me this question? Like, I don't know what to say. Or what if they do this? And here's the fourth thing that Moses said. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, you know, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. And we've been talking for a while now. I am slow of speech and tongue. Look at the time, you know, just this polite way of just going around things. And God, for the four, fifth, fourth time, comes to Moses and said, I hear you, go. And so finally, Moses, in the fifth time, the fifth response, he sets aside the Minnesota nice and he just gets to the point. And he said something that maybe you've said too. Please send someone else. Maybe this has convicted you in the past, and we've talked about this in this series, but maybe this has convicted you in the past. You know the Bible says that those who believe in Jesus should talk about him and share him with the world, but something's been holding you back and you feel guilty about that. And you look at your track record and you look at your inability to explain things or talk. And you say what Moses said. Please send someone else. And you do good things. You, you support a church or a ministry or an outreach organization. And they share Jesus with others. And you say, is that good enough? Could, could, could we send someone else? But could you just hear the voice of Jesus today say to you what he said to his disciples? Go. You have a specific audience that only you have, a specific network of connections. And I don't want you to miss this. You have a specific voice through which God can speak. You might have the ability to talk, just thoughts come to your mind and you say them and it's good. You might have the ability to sit down and write a very meaningful letter or email. You don't have to be everything, but God has given you a unique audience and he has given you a unique voice and he, whatever he's given you, he just wants you to go, go and share the good news. So I want to start this message because we're going to get super practical about how to do this. I just want to start this with words of forgiveness for you. Whatever you've done or not done in the past, God still loves you. He forgives you. Jesus died for you. And the good news he wants you to share with others, he first applies to you right now. Your guilt is taken away. Your tongue is released. The, the things from your past that you think discredit you, 
sometimes grace flows best through brokenness. And the things that you view as your limitations, like I'm not like them, I'm not like them, your unique voice is something God wants to use. Just imagine, what if, what if you felt confident enough? And what if you were self-aware enough that you could see the unique audience God has given to you? And you recognize the voice he's given to you and you put those things together to share the best news this world could ever have. We're going to talk about specific ways to do that. But first, remember this. People who have received the good news are qualified to share it. You don't need a master's of divinity from the seminary to share the good news. If you have received good news, you can share it. To your own audience, in your own voice, that's what God has called you to do. So you ready? How do you actually talk about it? It's easy to love. It's easy to listen for some of us. But how do you actually put into words, verbal or written, what Jesus means to the people around you? Well, as we wrap up this series, we're going to look at a few different ways to do that. And rather than me coming up with some curriculum where we look at all the best practices, what we do at North Cross is we look at a specific section of Scripture and we pull from God's Word any wisdom or practicalities that we can. So that's true today. We're going to look at John chapter 1, where the very first disciples are just getting to know Jesus, and we are going to see the tactics that were used on them to get them to hear the good news of Jesus for the first time, and we're going to see their reaction. We're going to see people who were excited to follow Jesus, and we're going to see people who responded to the invitation with skepticism and scoffing. But I hope to send you out of here with a few different ways to talk about this in your world this week. So John chapter 1, it says this, The next day, John, this is John the Baptist, who's been baptizing people in the Jordan River, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, and for now they're not named, but in a moment we're going to learn the names of one of them. When John saw Jesus passing by, he said to his two disciples with him, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And if you go backward one day, he said the exact same thing as Jesus walked by, except it was a little bit longer. I think John was just summarizing a longer conversation, and he summarized it with those five words. But the previous day, John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I get it. If you've never heard about Jesus before, or if you're talking to someone who's never learned about the Bible, it's probably awkward to say, hey, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like, that's not a good opening line to use. But we're going to go back to this in a moment and see what John was telling those two followers of his. We're going to see the significance of what this means and what it might look like for you to use this in your life. But first, let's see what happened. So the two disciples who were with him, when they heard him say this, what did they do? They followed Jesus. Did, did they know a lot? No. John had given them just the basics of who Jesus was, but they followed him, and they were following him, and they were following him. And I love how John records this. There's this super awkward moment where they're following him, and then Jesus turns around and sees them. And maybe you've experienced this. So turning around, Jesus saw them following. And he's like, what do you want? Like, it's kind of creepy. You're just kind of following me. And wherever I go, you go. And what's going on? What do you want? 
Now, how would you answer that question? You're, you're, you're trying to figure out more about Jesus, and he says, okay, what questions do you have? What do you want? What do you want? What, what do you say? And I love the awkwardness of this. They're, they're kind of buying time. Um, rabbi, rabbi, which means teacher. And the cool thing about rabbi is it's not just this general term. It's like, we're connected to you. You are my rabbi. You're my teacher. Where are you staying? Of all the questions they could ask, ironically, this is probably the best one they could have asked. Where are you staying? Because wherever you are, that's where we want to be. So Jesus goes on and he says, oh, come. Come, he replied, and you will see. And I wonder if John, as he recorded these words, I wonder if he had two things in mind. Number one, they would see where he's staying, but by implication, Jesus is saying, if you come with me, you will see things that you have never seen before. Come, you will see. So they went. They went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Several hours, they were just with Jesus, the two, two of them, learning, listening, and growing. But let's go back to the five words that set this whole thing off. John 1.36. John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if, if you were the two disciples with John, this would have been a very clear reference to you because lambs and goats were very widely used in the Old Testament times as a way of performing um, ceremonies that would draw people closer to God. And there was one ceremony in particular that was very interesting, and it's, it has the, the idea of the scapegoat. And we still have this term today, a scapegoat is someone who takes the blame for something and this was literally from Israel's history. One of their ceremonies is that once a year, they would take a goat, which is basically just a grown-up lamb, they would take a goat, and they would symbolically place their hands over the goat. And the idea was they were imputing to this goat all of the sins of the nation of Israel. So now this goat was responsible. For, I know it sounds weird, but it was symbolic. This goat is now responsible for all the sins of Israel. And then what they would do with that goat is they would rush it off and send it off into the wilderness. And the symbolic gesture was that now the sin was leaving the people, but it had to be placed on something else. You also see in the Old Testament this picture of the Passover lamb where on one night, the people who had shed the blood of a lamb and painted it over their doorpost were spared from death. Where blood had been shed once, it would not be shed again. There, there's this idea permeating throughout the Old Testament that a lamb or a goat could take away the sin of the world. And now Jesus, or John the Baptist draws in his disciples and he says, look, this is the lamb sent from God who really will take away the sin of the world. And so the two followers of John follow Jesus. Where are you staying? They said, we want to learn more. We want to learn more. And I love how this verse in the New Testament summarizes this entire thing. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, to be that scapegoat, so that in him, we might receive the righteousness of God. We might become that righteousness. 
And this is where the scapegoat analogy fails because the goat was just symbolically taking the sins away. But what we know about Jesus is that he also gave something in return. This is a great verse in the Bible. If you're trying to explain Jesus to someone, this is a great verse to use as the summary for who Jesus is and what he means. In fact, if you want to draw this on a piece of paper, you can do it. All you need is one circle, two arrows, and seven lines. Memorize that. One, what did I say? One circle, two arrows, and seven lines. So draw a stick figure on one side. That's five lines. Draw a cross on the other. That's two, two lines. And what you do is you draw an arrow from the person to the cross. And then above that, you write sin. Our sin went to Jesus. But then from the cross to the person, you draw another arrow, the second arrow. And on this arrow from the cross to the person, you write the word righteousness. We were washed. Our sin was taken and put on Jesus. And in, re in return, the exchange was he gave us his righteousness instead. So if you're a follower of Jesus, what do you think God sees when he looks at you? By faith in Jesus, he sees his own son whom he loves, with whom he's well pleased. He sees one who is holy. Not because you've lived a certain life, but because of the great exchange that Jesus made for you. He took your sin and its consequences, and he credited you with his righteousness. That is the good news. And that's what John the Baptist was telling his disciples. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's here. And that's something you can share with people in your world too. Our sins to him, his righteousness to us. So number two, Jesus made a great exchange. Our sin went to him. His righteousness came to us so that by faith in Jesus, you're good with God. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. And in this place, you are clothed with this robe of righteousness, which God loves. He's pleased with you. He loves you. So if you want to share Jesus, that's one simple way. We call it the great exchange. Draw that uh, one circle, five, uh, seven lines, two arrows. And just remember how our sin went to him and his righteousness came to us. Now, for the, the remainder of this section in John chapter 1, we see practical ways to actually get to this point. Like, okay, you can't, you can't just walk up to someone and start drawing this chart, you know, with all these things on it. Like, how do you actually, you know, get into this place where you can talk about it? And the rest of the section shows us how. So remember, John the Baptist had these two disciples. We don't know who they were, but now we know one of them because John goes on to say this. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus and who had awkwardly asked, where are you staying? The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, Simon Peter, and tell him, guess what we found? We have found the Messiah. That is, and here's where John, the gospel writer, helps fill in. Like, Messiah means Christ, like the chosen one, the one whom God promised. This is, this is him. We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and Andrew simply brought him to Jesus. And I love Andrew's tactic here. Like, he doesn't just sit down and try to explain everything to Simon Peter. He just says, hey, brother, brother, guess what I found? Jesus, he's the Messiah, the Christ. You got to come check this out. And so Andrew brought Simon, his brother, to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So basically John is giving us a very 
broad view of Peter's life and saying, this is, the, this is the, the Simon who would be called Peter, who would be one of Jesus' main disciples. And John is kind of giving us a snapshot of the entire story all at once. So what do we learn from Andrew? Well, when he came to his brother Simon, he didn't come with a lot of words or with a lot of explanation. He just says, guess what I found? So how can you put this into practice in your life? So here's a very non-invasive way to talk about Jesus with someone. And it's, it's so loving in the way it happens too. And just picture this as a scenario. So picture that you're talking to someone who doesn't know anything about God. They've, they've never been to church. They don't know the Bible. They don't know Jesus. And they're just kind of talking to you about some things that have been bothering them in their life. And eventually they... they they trust you enough where they actually start to say, ah, I just can't shake the guilt, the regret. I just can't shake this idea that the things I've done in the past can never be undone and I can never get over this. I've ruined everything. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. Does Jesus have anything to say about that? People who are full of guilt and shame and regret? He sure does. So here's something that you could say to them, a version of this. You could say something like, I'm no better than you. I'm glad you shared this with me. I've got my own reasons to feel guilty and shameful and regretful. And believe me, I have tried a lot of different ways to get through it and get over it. I've, I've tried to overcome my guilt by doing a lot of good things, but my guilt still follows me. I've tried to numb myself from the guilt I feel, but it's still there. And you're probably trying some things too, but can I just share with you, I, I, I have found one thing. You know, guilt, it, it, never, it never leaves you, but I have found a way to make peace with it. And I know this sounds super churchy and religious, and I just want to share with you, the way that I found to, to have peace with it is through Jesus. And if you're willing, I'd love to share with you what I've found. You're not preaching at him. You're not making an ultimatum. <laughs> You just want to share with them something that you found. And maybe that's a tactic you could use too. When people are sharing with you things going on in life, maybe it's a parenting thing. They're like, I have no idea. Why didn't this come with a guidebook or a rule book? Like parents need, you know, how do I do this? You're like, well, Jesus has some things to say about that. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've found. Do you want to learn a little bit more? Number three, you can talk about what you have found in a way that simply maybe invites them to listen to what you have found. Just like Andrew came to his brother and said, hey, look what I found, look who I found. So too, you can come to the people in your life in times of need or uncertainty, or even in good times of celebration, and you can say, guess, guess what I found. And so you might have an opportunity to talk about the best news this world could ever have. So we've got... We've got uh, Andrew, we've got Simon, Peter, and now we're going to fast forward to the next day, John 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, which I'm sure Philip could write a book just called Finding Philip, The Day Jesus Found Me. But Finding Philip, and oh, by the way, some of you probably relate to Philip because you grew up in church, you were baptized as an infant, you don't remember a day where you didn't know God. It's like Jesus found you. So maybe some of you relate to Philip. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. 
So Philip, like Andrew, like Simon Peter, they were all from the town of Bethsaida. And so like, oh, you guys are with him too? <laughs> Have you ever shown up at church and you, you meet people, you find someone that you know and you're like, oh, you go to church here too? Like, so there's this commonality that they're starting to grow and like, there's this familiarity. Like, okay, we're all finding him together. But anyway, they were all from the town of Bethsaida. And then next verse, Philip, once he found Jesus, what did he do? He went and found Nathanael. And he told Nathanael, we have found the one. I love how Philip is so detailed. Like he's geeking out over the theology here. I, I relate to him that way. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. You know, that whole scapegoat thing, taking away the sin of the world. Guess what? He's here in a million other ways. Moses and the, the law would refer to Jesus. We found the one Moses wrote about and about the one whom the prophets also wrote. The dozen prophets in the Old Testament all had their prophecies that one day the king will come, one day the redeemer will be here. And they all in their own way pointed ahead to Jesus. And Philip said, guess what? He's here. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel, he had his pick of things to be skeptical about. Like, wait, wait, wait. Moses? All the laws? Wait. The prophets? He had the entire Old Testament to pick from, but what did Nathaniel get hung up over? Next verse. Nazareth? Nazareth, Farmington, <laughs> pick your city, whatever it is, Oklahoma, what good could come from Nazareth, Nathaniel asked. And here's where Philip could have sat down, or yeah, Philip could have sat down and said, hey, listen, they're not as bad as they think. You know, they're nice people. And here's the thing, all the things that Moses said, here's how they, he could have given this long explanation, just trying to win him over, but instead, Philip, I, I love this, Philip just goes on. He could have said, so he quoted several scriptures that describe the true nature of the Messiah and how all the things are now being fulfilled, and Nathaniel was impressed by all of his knowledge and believed the good news. This is what we, this is what we burden ourselves with. Well, what if they don't believe? What if they, what if they push back? We think we need to know everything and be able to prove it and be super convincing. Philip was not. Here's what Philip did. Come and see. Come check it out for yourself. You got good questions. I'm just getting to know them myself, but I know that this is something different. Come and see. So the fourth thing to keep in mind, would you think of your words as an invitation? Maybe you don't have all the answers. Maybe you can't give a theological discourse on the true nature of Christ and what it means he fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament. I would have to study up on that first before I would try to, you know, talk about that with someone else also. But the good news is, anytime you share Jesus with someone, it is an invitation. It's not an ultimatum. It's an invitation for them just to come and see. So an invitation could look a number of different ways. I know um, a, couple, a few weeks ago we said that the days might be coming to an end where you can invite a person with no church background to come to a church service. But that's always an option. A great time to invite a friend who's never been to church is to invite him to a new series that's starting and say, hey, we're talking about this topic at church this week and I thought you might be interested. Do you want to come and see? Or it could be an event. It could be a starting point group. It could be a concert. Hey, you want to come? Come sit with me. Think of sharing Jesus as an invitation, not an ultimatum. 
And then finally, I want to show you the rest of the story with what happened with Nathaniel, because I think this is, there's one more interesting thing to keep in mind when it comes to your expectations of sharing Jesus with people. So when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel said. Now, it's one thing to say I'm an Israelite. It's, you know, Pretty common people in this area. You can tell by the way we look. We're an Israelite. But how do you know that I'm a man of no deceit? And in this moment, Nathaniel's experiencing something that all of you have experienced at one time or another. is that when the words of Jesus come to your heart, it's like he knows you. And in a weird way, even if it's the first time you've met him, it's as if he loves you. How do you know me? And then Jesus answered this. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Before Philip even left to go find you and tell you about me, I knew you. I saw you. And in response to this, Philip just has one reaction. He says, Rabbi, Again, not just a, a term of respect, but you are my rabbi. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then Jesus concludes with this. He's like, okay, that's good, that's good. But, but you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? Okay, <laughs> that's cool. You will see greater things than that. So it was a very small thing for Jesus to see him under a fig tree and know him before he even met him. But Philip was going to see, Nathaniel was going to see much greater things than that. And here's the application for us. You might have a friend who's never met God, doesn't know Jesus, and they've got a need in their life. Maybe it's a guilt thing. Maybe it's a parenting thing, whatever it is. They've got a need and you can show them how Jesus fills that very small need. I'm going to be a better parent. I have a better feel for my future. I have a better identity. I know who I am. You can fill one area of their life, and they would say, wow. It's like the moment Jesus and his words, when they came to me, it's like he knew me. And in a weird way, he loved me. And then you get to say to them, guess what? There's more. Because Jesus isn't just interested in making your life better. He has changed everything. So, then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on me, on the Son of Man. There is now a bridge between heaven and earth and it is me. So number five, Jesus changes everything. But maybe start by just showing one thing. Jesus changes eternities, but maybe just show a person how he has an impact on your life right now. And that might be the way that you can talk to someone about Jesus. I know it can be intimidating, and you might write yourself off and say, I don't know if I'm the right person for this, but God has given you a unique audience, and he has given you a unique voice. And I hope that the things we've talked about in this message have given you some ideas for how you can take the good news from just being something that you show through love and you show through listening and turn it into good news that you can share through words with the people in your life. So my challenge for you this week is 
to look for people in your life. And maybe it's you're at the love stage, maybe you're at the listen stage, maybe you're at the lead stage. The cool thing is these three things, like you don't have to go in order. Maybe some, to someone this week, you can sit down and share the one circle and two arrows and seven lines about how God's, God sent Jesus to take our sin and to give us his righteousness. Or maybe you can just give someone an invitation to an event. Or maybe you can just share with someone in passing as they struggle with something, you can say, can I tell you what I found? There are many ways to talk about Jesus in your world, but what we all know is that good news changes nothing until it's heard. But when you share it, it has the potential to change everything. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, your kingdom is an incredible thing. The message is so important that we would think it be reserved for angels or trumpets from heaven. And yet you have entrusted to us the honor of sharing good news with the world around us. Um, there are some people who we can invite to a church and they would be happy to attend. And at the same time, there are some people who would never set foot into a church. And the only way to get the message to them is for us to speak it. Would you give us the courage this week to understand where you have placed us and how we are to play a part in your kingdom? Would you give us the awareness and the insight to recognize our unique connections and our unique voice? Let us not be driven by fear or guilt to have to share this good news, but compel us with joy to share what we have found and to give the invitation for others to receive it too. Give us all joy and peace this week as we love and listen and lead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen.